verses 1 to 12. And we're coming towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is now beginning to, to sum up his teachings. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Come on up, Sharon. Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you for the gifts that you've put in Sharon and her ministry. That so much goes under the scenes in our families here in, in, in Coombe Down. We bless you, Sharon. We pray that as you unfold God's word to us, we receive it and the seeds will produce great fruit in us in these days to come. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that is such a well-known passage, isn't it? And we've all heard lots of those bits before, lots of well-known quotes. And there's so much in that passage that I'm not going to be able to cover absolutely every bit of it. But um, which ones, which bits of that passage do you know well? So shout out those well-known phrases, shout them out. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. What about, don't judge, another one. Yes, back in their eye, good oh. Another one, pearls to swine. Oh. Ask, seek, and knock, and you will find all that one. If your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone or snake? Yeah, either one. Yes, good. So <clears throat> I wonder which one of those pricks your conscience right now, which has had the most impact maybe on your life. So mine is the speck in the eye. I had three brothers and I was the prissy sister when I wanted to be, that was. And I didn't just see logs or planks in my brother's eyes. I saw massive trees, massive trees. So the first time I heard that, it was a bit of, oh yeah, oh dear, that's me. So today, we're going to look mainly at two parts. Firstly, verses one to five, which is mainly about judging and how we don't do it. And then... I was gonna do a tiny little bit on persistence in prayer, but seeing as that's just come up, I will enlarge on that a little bit. So, do not judge, jumps straight out in verse one. Oh, thank you, yeah. Um, now that's a bit hard, that one, being married to a judge, isn't it really? 
Um, it's no preamble. It just, just jumps straight in. Big capital letters do not judge. Um, now my husband tells me to judge is to study the evidence and then come to a conclusion before passing judgment. Well, I jump straight in every time. No studying of evidence. And we all do it at some time, don't we? We judge um, without really thinking about it, consciously and subconsciously. We judge a person as driving recklessly. We judge a person's dress sense. We judge their Facebook and their Instagram posts. We judge them depending on their job. We judge them on the way they bring up their children, keep their house, the kind of music like, style of worship they like. Um, and sometimes we even take pleasure in the failings of others. Don't we just love it when we can feel smug and righteous because we aren't like them? Or our children would never do that. It all makes us feel so, so much better. Now, verse 5, as I said, we have to say the plank of our own eyes before judging somebody else. I really like this from an American comedian who says, before you judge someone, walk a mile in their shoes. And that way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. <laughs> I thought that was such a good one. Um, I'm going to have to put my glasses on. There's a great example of taking, taking the plank out first. So a young couple moved into a new house. The next morning, they were eating breakfast and they looked out of the window and they saw the woman next door hanging out the washing. Oh, the washing's not very clean, said the woman, said the mum. A washing machine can't be working very well, or perhaps she needs better detergent. The husband looked on, but he didn't say anything. And every time the neighbour hung out washing out, the one woman made the same comment. A month later, the woman was surprised to see a nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she must have got fairy soap or whatever it is. Anyway, the husband replied, no, it's not that. I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. <laughs> what we see when watching others and judging them depends on the clarity of our own windows through which we look and the log that sits in our eyes. I've got quite a big log when it comes to first impressions and appearances and I'm not proud of this story. So often on a Sunday we look out for newcomers to join us for lunch and um, one week I noticed a bloke before the service started Now he was a bit spaced out I've got a terrible sense of smell, so I couldn't tell if he was drunk or not, but he wasn't quite right. Anyway, <laughs> randomly, I suddenly find myself inviting him for lunch, then spent the whole of the service worried about it. My attitude wasn't right. I couldn't concentrate, find myself praying it would be okay. Others were coming as well, and I, uh, they all knew each other well. I hadn't checked with Peter. He might drink too much. It might be awkward. He might not fit in. Um, hoping he might have disappeared after the service, um, but he was up on the hill outside church lying on his back. So I thought, okay, I'm going to sneak past him, go down the path, he'll never see me. But no, I made myself go and see if he still wanted to come, which he did. So it wasn't difficult over lunch, but he hardly said a word. Um, it was awkward at times. People tried to bring him into the conversation, but it wasn't easy. But he was polite and nice 
And when he got up to leave, he said he'd had a really good time, was grateful for the food. And when he had his photography exhibition in Bath, he would invite me. What did he say? His photography exhibition. I didn't know if he'd invited, maybe he'd invited Banksy for lunch. But my attitude was completely wrong. I was worried and I judged, not made allowances. And that's what we do. We don't make allowances. We're not generous in the way we think about other people. And I was thinking about how we can overcome that judgmental nature. And the Lord showed me the passage in Philippians 2, where it tells us to live as Christ lived, humbly. We need to have the same attitude as that of Jesus, who in being the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself just nothing, taking the nature of a servant and humbling himself. I've been reading a book called Incomparable whilst I was on holiday. And it was really mind-blowing to think that our truly incomparable God, the creator, the craftsman, who's faithful, is light, is love, is holy, is our strength, our healer, should come to our dirty, grotty, filthy world as a mere mortal. He, the radiance of all, should be ready to humble himself. And yet we think we're better than others and therefore allowed to judge. So how do we humble ourselves? How do we take on the same attitude of Christ? Well, Thomas Akempis, a long time ago, which shows you how long people have had this problem, wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. And he had a chapter called On Thinking Humbly of Oneself. Now, it's full of old language, so I won't read it out. But he talks about the fact that we're not as clever as we like to make out. Whether we're a judge or a dump man or a vicar, we're not as clever as we think. Be not high-minded, but confess your ignorance. That's what Thomas Akempis said. Secondly, we're challenged to be less competitive. I'm so competitive. Why desirest thou to lift thyself above another? Why do we want to think of ourselves better? And thirdly, we're challenged to think kindly and highly of others. So let's not think we're as clever as we like to make out. We're not. Don't be um, competitive and let's think highly of others. Because we pretend to be no more knowledgeable and more spiritual than we really are. We kind of have this compulsion to compare ourselves with others and compete constantly, even in casual conversation. Oh, I had a lunch for three people the other day. Oh, well, I, I fed 24. You know, that kind of silly thing. Um, we have to believe the best of people. <clears throat> and sometimes we, we have to ask the Lord to help us to be humble in our dealings with everyone. And um, we need to empty ourselves of ourselves. In humility, consider others better than yourself. And deny ourselves for the good of others as Christ did for us. Clothe ourselves with humility. So to humble ourselves, remember we're not that clever. Don't constantly compare yourself with others, being repetitive. And think of others as better than ourselves. Now this is a lovely quote to remember. Don't think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. Because God doesn't, he's not created you rubbish. 
he's not wanting you to be like feel like you're rubbish at the bottom of the heap below everybody else so don't think less of yourself but think of yourself less that's a massive key on this one now just back to the passage in verse five sometimes just sometimes it is right to do something about somebody says the clear command is verse one is not to judge but it's expanded in verse five and then so once you got rid of the log and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye there are times when we need to use discernment and we shouldn't be silent in the matter of sin so a speck of sawdust or splinter or grit in, in an eye of somebody you love will cause damage eventually won't it it's not good eyes are delicate and so in love take care but help them to remove that grit it will take a lot of prayer it'll take much care as I said and tact but it does benefit them hugely so under the Lord under his guidance with his spirit sometimes just sometimes in love say the thing that needs to be said so persistence in prayer verses 7 to 11. now it says ask and you will receive knock and the door will be opened and what's the other one ask seek and you will find now those verbs are keep on asking they're in the continuous present keep on asking keep on knocking keep on seeking but things don't always get answered do they ask and you will seek and you will find ask and you will receive well we've been asking for years for family members all of those things they just don't seem to happen and sometimes it is because of persistence there's a story of the widow and the judge in Luke 18 the widow kept on asking kept on pestering the judge until she got what she wanted well, it doesn't happen nowadays not in my house i tried time and time again to ask the judge and he doesn't give me what i'm asking for um and that can seem the same with our prayers because despite the promise he doesn't always give god doesn't always give the way forward is hard to see we don't always receive we don't always find the door isn't always opened so persistence doesn't necessarily guarantee that any prayer we care to offer will be successful and there's no real answer as to why not it's just annoying <laughs> but it's one of those things god is god perhaps the answer might be that we need to look from god's perspective god has so many threads to bring together it's not just little old me at the center of his thinking or even you he's got the whole world to deal with so timing is a massive thing maybe we need to wait for my friend to come to Jesus because he knows that if it takes a while then maybe our husband will be ready to come to Jesus at the same time God has to bring events and people together in his timing and in his way because his timings and his ways bring the most glory to God to the father and his kingdom maybe also we're not asking for the right things I often presented with a shopping list for myself and others instead of first spending time in his glorious presence sitting with him 
being with him, breathing his word, listening, not talking, so that we know what he wants for our friend, so we know what he wants in our lives. And then when we're attuned to him, we ask for the right things. The more closer we are to him, the more we are likely to ask for the things he wants us to ask. So there's just one prayer that gets answered every time. Every time. If you are seeking Jesus, if you want him in your life, he will be there. Not necessarily right away, but that's a definite, always definite answer of yes. If you want him in your life, Jesus will be right there. So to conclude, we have to sort ourselves out first before we can attempt to do so for others. So what's that log in your eye? What stops you from seeing clearly? How big is it? Why is it there? Could be damage from your past, which is lodged in there, prevents you from making allowances for others. Cause we could be uh, failures caused by poor personal choices. So your default position is to criticize first, judge the failings of others because it makes you feel better about yourself. Poor self-esteem, a negative view of life, all these things causes us to see the bad rather than the good in others. And it could be the log of jealousy. That's another big one that sits right there. So let's humble ourselves and have that same attitude of Christ. We need that radical love of Jesus to flood our souls, to bring us to that place of repentance so that log can get shifted by him so that his generosity and his love can fill our hearts and minds and bodies so that in everything we do, we can do to others what we would have them do to us if we have his humble attitude and then align ourselves, tune ourselves to the generous heart of God so we see others as he sees them. Let's stand to respond to him now. Let's all stand. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us individually. We're going to do three things. We'll ask for forgiveness for judging, then asking Jesus to humble ourselves, and then ask him to give us time in his presence. So I don't know if you want to hold out your hands. Feel free to do so, like you're about to receive a gift. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come by your spirit as you Make yourself aware to us, your children, the children you love radically. And Lord, first of all, we want to say sorry for the number of times and the number of ways we judge other people. And by your spirit, we ask you to take the log out of our eyes. So chat to him about that now in the silence.
And now, Jesus, we remember how you, the King of glory, came and humbled yourself. And we ask you now, by your spirit, to clothe us with humility. Come, Holy Spirit, clothe us with your humility right now that we see others as you see them in the beautiful way you made them. And now, Lord Jesus, we ask for time in your presence this week so that we can tune ourselves into your generous heart. So that we can persist in prayer for others. So we can ask for the things you want us to ask for. You want prayer after the service for anything that might have come up from this um the time we've had this morning then please don't hesitate to ask for prayer from somebody near you or from the prayer ministry team thank you amen do you sit down